0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to The Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Good morning, Relove Church family. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and joining us this morning. And I want to send a special thank you to Ayana Albertson for delivering such a profound poem that really strikes at the heart of what we are determined to deal with and to address all month long and that is the insecurities those insecurities that you and I get from looking at the mirror mirror on our wall the things that we have picked up when we were kids the, the the relationships that we've been in that have left us bruised and battered and and wounded on in our soul the the constant barrage of social media comparison that continues to assault our mind and our mindset I'm determined in my personal life, and I'm determined as a pastor of this church in your personal life that you too will experience the space and the freedom and the liberty to overcome the battle. It's not a battle that we rage with flesh and blood. It's not a battle that we rage with sticks and stones. Yes, we know they may break my bones, but there's another battle that's raging, not with guns and swords and knives and uh, nuclear warheads. No, it's a battle in our mind for our thoughts. And so all week long, all month long, and all week long, but all month long, we are dealing with this topic of mirror, mirror. And how can we be an individual who looks in the mirror and sees the truth of God staring back at us? That's our prayer. That's my prayer for you. So no matter where you're watching this from or listening to this from, whether it's this weekend or next week or next month or next year, my prayer is that through this series of messages that you would find the strength, the truth of God's word that will allow you to overcome whatever defeating lies and defeating thoughts the enemy is trying to tell you. Now, before we have a word of prayer This morning, I just want to remind you that last week we dealt with the topic of we are no longer slaves and how that because of what Christ has done on the cross, Romans 6, that we now are free to choose. And I don't know how that message resonated with you, but for me, it is still resonating as a liberating message that I am now free to choose which not just which path I want to take, but I'm free to choose which direction I want my thoughts to go. Because this is the truth of the matter, is that you cannot live a positive life if you have negative thoughts. I heard one pastor say, and I had to just take it as my own. You cannot live a positive life with negative thoughts. And so we are here to remind you and to teach you and to educate you and to let you know that you are free to choose. That you do not have to be a slave to the enemy any longer. Well, today we're going to dive into the Word of God, and I have a number of texts that we're going to look at. And I, I, I pray that you take some paper and some pen and notepad or your computer and that you take notes with me because this is not a message that's going to make you shout real loud, but this is a message that I hope will make you think and reflect. And that after that reflection, you will come away feeling empowered, come away feeling convicted, come away feeling as though you have what it takes to overcome the lies that the enemy is sowing into your life and has sowed into your life. So let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, I thank you for a chance to open your word again. And as we open your word, I pray that you would open our hearts, speak to us, teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, one of my favorite places to hang out is Clubhouse. If you don't know what Clubhouse is, don't worry about it. <laughs> it is actually an app. It's not a club. Don't worry. It's not a real club. It's, a, it's an app on your iPhone uh, where you can join in several conversations, and you can be talking to people all over the world or you can have a conversation, you and I could be talking and other people could be listening. And I like to get on, you know, a couple times a week and just kind of listen to some of the conversations, some of the topics. They have a number of rooms you could choose from. And I was in a room just this last Wednesday and someone said something about parenting that really just spoke to my heart. They said, you know what, so many of us parents that we have a vision for our lives and we are pursuing this vision for our lives, but we must not forget that God has a vision for our children's lives. And when they said it, like I've always known as a parent, a father of three, my wife and I, we always think about our our daughter's future and what they're going to do and who they're going to marry and who they're going to become or if they're going to marry or what their life kind of wherever their life will go. And we're praying for them and we pray for them every single day. But when they framed it as such, it just really struck me differently to know that, yes, I have dreams for them. And yes, there's great things I want them to accomplish. And I tell them every day, you're going to do great things. But to know that more than my general you're going to do great things encouragement that I tell them when they wake up or when they go to bed is that God has a very specific vision, a very specific dream For my daughters. And when they said it, it just challenged me like, okay, Seth, you know the dream for your own life and the vision for your own life. You need to discover what is God's dream for my daughter's life and how can I support and encourage and protect that dream so that it comes to pass. And as I was reflecting on it, I couldn't help but think that yes, God has a dream for my daughter's life, but God also has a dream for your life. That's right. God has a dream. For your life. You, yes, you right there sitting on your couch, driving in your car, taking a walk in the park. You, God has a dream for your life, he has a vision for your life, and there's some great things that he wants you to experience and you to accomplish, and along the way, you're gonna experience some setbacks, and along the way, you might not, you might feel like you're lost, but don't ever forget that God has a dream for your life, and because God has a dream for your life, and this dream is that you will prosper and be in good health and do great things, Understand that the devil also has a plan to sabotage God's dream for your life. And his plan to sabotage your dream is not to somehow get you um, caught up in the wrong crowd, though that may be a part of it. But what the devil does primarily is, is he's not so much trying to, in a literal sense, kill us physically, though for many of us he probably is trying to take us out. But he recognizes that if I can't kill you physically or more importantly Than trying to kill you physically is trying to kill you mentally. That he knows that if he can kill us mentally, he can get us to abort the dream that God has for our life. So the question is: what are you gonna do about it? Because we're no longer slaves last week. Yeah, we're no longer slaves. The question is, what are you going to do about the devil's attempt to kill you mentally and to get you to abort the dream that God has for your life? Well, I want to take you to the word of God, and we're going to, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis in chapter one, and I have three passages that we're gonna look at. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, and Genesis chapter three, and they're kinda long, so I I want you to read along, they're gonna be on the screen down below, but I want you to follow, because we learn something so powerful about what God is trying to do in our lives, and what God has tried to do in our lives, that I think understanding it again will really just add so much value to our journey in Christ. Genesis chapter one, I'm starting with verse 26 and I'm reading from the New Living Standard, New Living Translation. The Bible says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the living, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them both. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, it says, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one of them. It's almost like in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks in broad, general brushes. Hey, let us make man in our image. We're going to do this, then they're going to reign and be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis chapter 2, God zooms in, and almost like he's telling us the exact same thing, but just with a little more detail. He says he brought to them the man to see what he could call them, and the man chose a name for each one of them. Verse 20, he gave names to all of the livestock, all of the birds of the sky, all of the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Good. The Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. That's what I said at my wedding day. At Alas, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man, verse 25, and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Let's keep reading chapter 3, shall we? The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Verse 1, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from from the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4 No, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too at the moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. There's that word again. They suddenly felt shame. Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now, what's so interesting to me about this passage, and I love this passage because it really gives us the the, the, the landscape, the lay of the land, it really gives us the foreground to exactly what was going on, or the background rather, about what exactly was going on um, that our parents, our foreparents, Adam and Eve, got caught up in this precarious situation that even today we still find ourselves in. Here, Adam and Eve are in the garden and everything is good, and God comes down and God says, you know what, we're going to make man in our image, we're going to bless them, they're going to do great things, gonna, I have a dream for them, I have a vision for them. Let, let them be fruitful and multiply, and they find themselves living the good life. And then all of a sudden, one day, they find themselves partaking of the fruit that God tells them not to take. And from that day, we have not been the same. And y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. All types of drama and foolishness and sin and pain and heartache and anxiety and depression and all manner of evil has come forth from that one decision that they made. Now, Now, before we step too deep into the fall of what happened in Genesis in chapter 3, like I said, Genesis chapter 1 gives us a really broad overview of what was taking place, and then it zooms into Genesis chapter 2, which gives us a little more detail. And what's so interesting to me as I was reading this passage and studying it this week, that the one thing that God created Adam and Eve to make sure sure that they never experienced, it was almost as if God said, you know what? I'm going to create you and you're going to do great things and you're going to do mighty things and you're going to prosper. But there's one thing I want to make sure you never experience. And this one thing was so important that right before Genesis 3 comes up, it's almost as if God makes sure that this one line is inserted in the very last verse of Genesis in chapter 2, where the text tells us that now man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It was almost as if God was saying, there's only one thing I want to make sure you never experience. I want to make sure you have no personal relationship with this thing. You make I want to make sure you have no personal encounters with this thing. I want to make sure that that this thing stays as far away from you as possible. And that one thing was shame. Shame. God, it, it was crazy. God could have chosen any other emotion that he did not want them to experience. He could have chosen fear or guilt or, or or abandonment. He could have chosen anything, anxiety. He could have chosen any other emotion, negative emotion that he did not want them to experience. But for some reason in the text, right before we stepped into the fall, God makes sure that he communicates to us that when I created you, and I, and I placed you in the garden and you found your companion, that when you found the one that you were going to spend the rest of your life with, the love of your life, that when you found that individual, that in the context of your holy matrimony and in the safety of the Garden of Eden, that you all were both naked and shame had nothing to do with your relationship. There was no feelings of I'm not good enough or I'm not accepted or I'm not approved. No, 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 no. No, you were naked and you were fully accepted and fully loved and there was no Shame. The one thing God did not want us to experience was shame. So much so that God says, and I love this in verse 26 of chapter one, he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make these human beings in our image to be like us. And so now verse chapter 2 verse 25 now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But yet verse 3 chapter 3 verse 7 says, and at the moment, the moment their eyes were open, the moment their eyes were open, not a day later, not a week later, not a month later, not even a few hours later, the Bible tells us that the exact moment that their eyes were opened, the very first emotion, the very first feeling that they felt when they looked at each other and they looked down upon themselves, they realized that they were naked and they felt shame the one thing god did not want them to experience it's almost as if god is like trying to communicate to us just in these few pers- few verses that it's like shame is almost the root of all negative emotions and all detrimental mentalities, that shame is the catalyst and the cause for so many other evils and so much heartache and so much pain in our life that God was really trying to make sure I don't want you to feel shame. And yet the first Thing they felt when they chose to be disobedient, when they chose not to listen to God and they stepped outside of God's counsel and outside of God's will and outside of obedience to God's word, the very first thing that they experienced was shame. And it, you, like me, like our f- original four parents, have also experienced, and for many of us, we have lived with the weight of shame, like, like a cloud that just hovers over us. Shame bears its its dark shadow, casts its dark shadow over our lives, and all of our behavior and much of how we interact and much of how we see this world is seen through the lens of this shame, so many people are living under a cloud of shame. Shame is that painful emotion that often results in the paralyzing conviction that I am not worthless, that I have no value to others or to God, that I am unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. Let me read that definition again and I'm gonna put it on the screen for you. Shame is the painful emotion that often results in the paralyzing conviction that I am worthless, that I have no value, to others or to God that I am unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. This is what shame does. You see shame is essentially that belief that that takes that takes our mistakes a step further. So I might make a mistake and I might, I might touch the stove when it's hot or I might say something I shouldn't say to my spouse or I might do something I shouldn't do or I might go someplace I shouldn't go and I, and I recognize it's a mistake. Oh, I shouldn't have cheated on my test. I shouldn't have lied to my friends. I shouldn't have stolen that thing from the store when I was working as a teenager and I made these mistakes. But shame doesn't just take the mistakes that we make and then, and then get us caught up in the mistakes. But what shame says, Is not only have you made mistakes, but same shame says you are a mistake. Yeah. Shame at its core is misplaced judgment. So it's almost as if I think about this microphone even in my hand, and I can say, you know what? This microphone is wrong, and, judge, and this microphone is sin, and, and I'm going to place judgment on this microphone. But yet now, because I'm holding the microphone, and the microphone is a part of who I am, and I've embraced the microphone, now that judgment is now resting on me, and I am taking upon myself an identity that, the, that, that God never intended me to take upon. Shame, at its core, is misplaced judgment where it's no longer the act that is condemned, but now the actor is condemned. And I feel unloved. I feel like I am not approved and so because there is this deficit in my life and there is this feeling of that I'm not good enough That because there is this feeling that I'm not accepted, I spend my life looking for approval because my condition before God is that I am unacceptable. I spend my life trying trying to get God's approval, trying to get my friend's approval, trying to get my loved one's approval. I spend my entire life doing things because I feel like I am not enough. Therefore, I must do more. I have to acquire more. I need to drive faster cars, have bigger houses, date prettier girls, have more money in my bank account. I have to do more so that somehow I can gain the approval of my family and friends so that they will accept me and that will they will quiet this voice in my mind that says, Seth, you are not enough. Seth, you are not enough. Seth, you are not enough. You, you as an individual, who you are, when you look in the mirror, doesn't matter how much your wife tells you she loves you or your daughters tell you they love you, doesn't matter how much... Your church says, oh, you're doing a great job. When I look in the mirror, the voice that comes back to me is, you are not enough. Therefore, do more. That's what shame does. Shame leads us to believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. Yeah. And so in my marriage, I'm looking for approval, and in my relationships, I'm looking for approval, and I go to social media looking for approval. And if not enough people like my posts, and if not enough people retweet my, my my stories, and if not enough people um, drop into my DMs, and I must feel as oh well, I'm not good enough, or maybe I'm not enough, and there is shame. I think I'm going to post a picture. And I, when I take the picture and I look at the picture, I was like, oh, no, this doesn't meet my approval because this might not get the reaction that I'm looking for from those who are following me. And all of that, all of that foolishness is driven by shame. And yet, I just got to tell you, I got to tell you that when God thought of you and when God thought of me, in God's mind, God said to himself, I am going to create my children, my, my, this planet, this world, my people, and I am not ashamed of them. <laughs> I want to tell you. In fact, God, God, I mean, if you just read the text, Genesis chapter one, we just read it, he says, Let us make man in Our image. God says, I'm going to step down and I'm going to make man in our image. And then the verse 28 of chapter one tells us, man, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that that scurry along the ground. That when God created us and when God designed us, God said, Number one, I'm gonna make you in my image. You're gonna look like me and talk like me and, and, and smell like me and act like me and be like me. You will be enough because because I'm enough, and then God said, "Not only am I going to make you my image, but I'm going to make you a producer like me." No, 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 no. You're not a consumer, right? I'm going to make you a producer like me. Be fruitful and multiply, and that is the expectation that God has upon all of our lives—that we will be fruitful and multiply, that we will be producers, that we will be creatives, that we will be innovators, that we will not be so so consumed with 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 consuming material goods or. Consuming Consuming media, uh, 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 media information, media technology. No, that we will be individuals who, who multiply, that we are, we are at our core, we are fruitful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that fruitful is not just a fruit of the spirit, fruitful of love and joy and peace. But no, God wants us to create. He wants us to Produce. This is who God has created us to be. So much so in John and chapter 15 in verse 8, he says, this is my father's glory that you bear much fruit. God looks at us and he says, listen, I want you to be producers. However, the devil, understanding that, fundamentally knows that God created you in his image, and God created you to be fruitful, and God created you to be multiplied, and that he has to somehow sabotage our fruitfulness and sabotage our ability to create and to produce. And so he sows seeds of shame into our life for one purpose and one purpose alone. Shame threatens our fruitfulness. It threatens our fruitfulness. Shame is the one thing that will stamp out the image of God in us. Because if I am, if I am ashamed of who I am, then I will do what my first parents did. I will hide, yeah. You see, the Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the enemy, the thief, the enemy, the thief, the enemy, the thief, that he has one purpose, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. I've talked about this before, but i got to remind you, he has one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he recognizes that if he cannot get our soul, that he will get our fruitfulness. He said, I might not be able to kill you. I might not be able to take you out. I might not be able to put you six feet under. I might not be able to actually kill your life and destroy your soul, but I can destroy your fruitfulness. And I destroy your fruitfulness by sowing seeds of shame into your mind. I plant them into the flower bed of your life. And over time, that shame grows and leads you to feel as though you're not enough and you're, you know, and, and, and you're not good enough and you're not approved and you're not accepted and you're not loved. And so as a result, you do what our parents did. You hide from God. You hide your gifts. You hide your fruitfulness. You hide your creativity because you are ashamed and afraid that no one will accept you. And yet, what's crazy is that God said, I will make man in my image, and he, they will bear fruit that in your DNA, and I'm not talking about the DNA you got from your parents, I'm talking about the DNA you got from God, that in your DNA is fruitfulness. And so it's almost as if we are going to bear fruit, no matter what the condition. if we believe in the abundance of God and we believe in the truth of God and we believe in the word of God, then we will bear fruit out of that abundance. And that fruit will be love and joy and peace and long suffering and goodness and gentleness and meekness and faithfulness. That fruit will be, be creativity and positivity and positive energy and positive vibes and love in this world. We will multiply all of that goodness out of our abundance. However, if we believe the lie of the enemy and we live lives that are rooted on brokenness and we allow the seed of the enemy to so sow itself and to to grow in our lives that we will also multiply. We will be fruitful and we will be fruitful out of our brokenness or said another way, we will multiply our brokenness. And when you multiply your brokenness, what inevitably happens and it leads to pain and heartache and anxiety and depression and fear and guilt and all of these other negative emotions that are all rooted in this core construct we call Shame! You're going to bear fruit one way or another because you were created in the image of God and in your DNA is fruitfulness. Your fruitfulness will either be abundance that is multiplied or your fruitfulness will either be brokenness that is multiplied. Every single individual in this world is a fruit bearer. You are either bearing fruits of righteousness and multiplying fruits of righteousness or you are bearing fruits of brokenness and multiplying your brokenness. Shame says, I have to be I have to be more. Who I am is not good enough. So therefore, I have to be more. This is exactly the same thing that that Lucifer, the devil, did to Jesus when he took Jesus up in Luke in chapter 14. And one of the three temptations that Jesus experienced in the wilderness, he took Jesus to the top of the temple of Jerusalem and he said, Jesus, look down, see all these people. He says, Jesus, if you jump off, the scriptures say that, you're, that the angels of the Lord will come and they will protect you and guard you and they will hold you up in your hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. The devil was attempting Jesus to say, you know what? Jesus, here's a way where you will get the approval of everyone that you want. Let me take you up to the very top of the temple, where down below you can see the throngs, the hundreds, maybe even thousands of individuals who are down below the temple doing their business and going to and fro. If you throw yourself down, all these thousands of people will be able to look up and see you gently just floating down, being kept by the angels, and everyone will approve that you are the Messiah. This was the exact same temptation that the devil brought Jesus. You don't have to be ashamed of who you are. I can make sure you get everyone's approval. You see, people who are enslaved to shame are constantly apologizing to others for who they are. They feel small. People who are enslaved to shame, they feel flawed. They feel like they're never good enough. They live under a crippling fear of never measuring up, of never pleasing those whose love and respect they desire. This results in efforts of working harder to compensate for feelings less than everyone else and feeling less than everyone else. When you are enslaved to shame, you feel like there's something you have to constantly do to get people's approval because shame says that you are inadequate. And the shame that you experience may have been passed down from a parent. It may have been passed down from a, from, a, from a boyfriend, from a girlfriend, from a friend, from someone who looked at you and said that you're not enough. And I just want to tell you, if someone looks at you and says you're not enough, that person is of the devil, and you need to leave them real fast, quick, and in a hurry, because I refuse to listen to anybody who will look at me and say, you are not enough because my Father in heaven tells me that I am enough because I was made in his image. You see, shame has this, this multiplying effect in our human soul, you know, that those who 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 feel shame, they... They they hide. They they create walls of protection that they that they build around their lives, and they hunker down and hope no one will see them. No one will truly see their true self. They are terrified of their true self. They will that they will be seen, and that they will not just be seen, but they'll be seen, and that they'll be rejected. And so they hide behind these walls, hoping that somehow you won't truly see who I am at my core. They're convinced. They're convinced that if someone were to see them for who they really are, that they would be repulsed and disappointed by them. So they are led to be less than their true self. They deliberately stifle whatever strengths they have. They sabotage their own potential. They they say to themselves, "Whatever I do, don't be vulnerable. Don't be authentic. It's dangerous because at the end of the." day if you truly show people who you really are they might not accept you. And that's what our parents did. Yeah yeah yeah, Adam and Eve, right? Parents. Genesis 3 said, the moment their eyes were open, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so what do they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They said to themselves, I am not good enough. I see my nakedness. I am ashamed of who I am. Let me do something to hide my mess. Let me do something to hide me, my mistake. And at that moment, shame was embedded in their soul and has been passed down to us from one generation to the next. And as a result, I believe, of what happened in the garden on that day All of us, you, me, your mama, my mama, your daddy, my daddy, all of us have what we call a negative bias. All of us have a negativity bias. Yeah, a negativity bias, also known as a negativity effect, is a notion that even when of equal intensity, things of a more negative nature have a greater impact or effect on our psychological state and processes than than mere neutral or positive things. So you can go through your entire day and you can have seven positive experiences and just have one negative experience, and at the end of the day, when you come home and talk to your loved one, when you call your girlfriend, when you call your boyfriend, You will tell when they ask you how your day was, you will be more inclined to recall that one negative experience than you will all of those seven positive experiences. It's called the negativity bias. This is why we this is why when you when you think about how we live our lives that we just have a proclivity to think how, that the glass is half empty and that things are not as well as we would like them to be. When 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 negativity when negative things happen to us, we naturally gravitate and ruminate and reflect on those negative things. It's a negativity bias. It's almost like it's almost like you driving in the car, and when you let the steering wheel go, if your car is not in line, it's automatically going to pull. Well, if you just let your life go, if you let your mind go, because of what the seeds the devil has sown in our mind, we will naturally pull towards the negative. It just happens like that. And, and so the rest question is, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, shame Came to us from the garden when they sinned. They felt naked. It's been passed down from one generation. Shame leads you to hide. It leads you to cover who you are. You make yourself feel as though you're not. You're not approved. You're not good enough. You got to do more to be accepted. I get it. So the question is, how do we overcome shame? Because shame is dangerous. How do we make sure that we do not abort our fruitfulness? And that we do not abort the image of God from our life by allowing the devil to embed these seeds of shame in us. How do we make sure that we have the the, the wherewithal and the knowledge and the skills and the tools and the weapons to fight against the enemy's attack on our mind? I want to read for you just a few passages that really give us the essence of the gospel because the way that we overcome shame is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So so I want to read this for you. It's in Luke in chapter 7. In Luke in chapter 7, the text says in verse 36, and it's a story, not a story, but it's a situation that Jesus encountered, right? So in Luke in chapter 7 in verse 36, the text says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman, they had to make sure they included that adjective, an immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off her head, her hair. Then she kept kissing the feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. (laughs) Simon, he said to the prayer seat, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, Uh, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts. Amen, student loan cancellation. Come on, Biden. Amen, somebody. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? The text says, that, that student loan thing wasn't in the text. That was just me. The text says, verse 43, uh, uh, Simon answered, I suppose the one of whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said, verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman. When Simon looked at her, he saw shame. Who is this woman, this prostitute, this immoral woman? She's down here fellowshipping and talking and and, and hovering over Jesus. Doesn't he know what type of woman is this? And I can only imagine that in that moment, this woman who was immoral, and I'm not making that up because the text tells us she was immoral. I can only imagine that this woman in that moment surrounded by prestigious dignitaries, religious men and and individuals who carried themselves and had had, uh, lots of opulence. And these men who were just super eloquent. I can imagine this woman felt like she was out of place and did not belong, but yet something was driving her to Jesus that she did not let her shame keep her from the presence of God, though everyone looked around, everyone around her looked at her and in their mind thought to themselves, she should be ashamed of herself. Let me just tell you that shame, the devil wants to allow you to keep your, he wants to leverage the shame in your life to keep you from coming to the presence of God, thinking that God won't accept you. But Jesus had an answer for Simon, the Pharisee this religious man he says look at this woman kneeling here when i entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet you should be ashamed simon she washed me my feet with her with her tears uh, she, excuse me, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed with she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You should be ashamed, Simon. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of, 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 of olive oil to anoint my head. You should be ashamed, Simon. But she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, this, look at Jesus' words. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Jesus is not ignorant to our drama and our mess. He's like, listen, let me just tell you something. Yeah, she got some mess. She got some drama in her life. He says, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who who is forgiven little shows only little of. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shame says, I am not enough. Forgiveness says, You are more than enough. Shame says, I'm not accepted. Forgiveness says, you are more than accepted. You are loved. Shame says, I have to hide. Forgiveness says, step into the light. We have made mistakes, but we have no reason to be ashamed because we are forgiven. I want you to get that. The solution to shame, the antidote to shame, is forgiveness. And it's not just God forgiving you, but it's you forgiving you. You see, when you no longer live under shame, you can take the deepest, darkest parts of your life, and you can share them with others. Because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because I've been forgiven. <laughs> I'm not ashamed because my value is not in me somehow keeping uh, up this facade that I am strong and an alpha male and I have no problems and I'm a strong woman and I, and I don't need a man. No, 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 no. My strength is not in that. My strength is in that Christ has taken my brokenness to the cross. And so I I can tell you my story. I can tell you how I've struggled with sin. I've struggled with pornography. I can tell you how I've struggled with sexual sin in my life. I can tell you how I've struggled with with abuse and, 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 and all manner of things that anyone else would be ashamed about. I can tell you how I've struggled with not feeling loved and being rejected, but feeling like I'm not good enough and feeling that my, uh, like I'm too big or too I, I can I can tell you my issues, how I was molested as a child. I can share with you my, my, my pain because I'm no longer ashamed because I'm forgiven. If you have not reached a point in your Christian journey, hear me now, If you have not reached a point in your Christian journey where you can open your heart to your loved ones and you can share with them the pain of your past, maybe it's because you're still ashamed of the pain of your past. And the reason why you are still battling the shame is because you have not yet accepted that you have been forgiven. Or maybe it's because you have not yet extended forgiveness to the one who inflicted that pain. And so in your life, you are hiding behind a tough man facade. You are hiding behind a strong, independent woman facade. I got it all together facade because you have not yet experienced forgiveness. And in this moment right now, I wanna let you know that God forgives you. And he just doesn't forgive you, but he forgives whoever did that to you. And that he wants to invite you into his forgiveness. Because when you come into his forgiveness, you will find that there is peace and acceptance and that you no longer have to be ashamed. I love how Paul says it. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons of, by whom you cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have nothing to be ashamed of. He says in Second Timothy, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I believed. And I am convinced that he's able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words, he says, that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted in you. What's he talking about? That God has deposited his spirit in you. And because of it, you do not have to be ashamed of what has happened to you in your past because you believe the word of God, that you are forgiven. So I want to pray for you. Because there's a few people, a few different types of people watching. Some of you all are that woman who came to Jesus, and you see your immoral lifestyle, and you see all of your mess, and you see all of your drama, and you see your sins, and they are many. But Jesus looks at you, (laughs) and Jesus says, in in the presence of your accusers, (laughs) he says, you are forgiven. That's one group of people. Uh, Some of you, though, are watching, and you're just like Simon. You are looking around at other people, and you see the immorality and the disobedience of other people. And you are saying, how is it that these other people have the the, the unmitigated gall to think that they know God. Look at how they're living their life. And God says to you, ha, ah, ah, Simon, 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 understand. Your issue might not be shame. <laughs> you have another issue that we're going to deal with next week. <laughs> you have the issue of guilt. But if you battle this thing called shame, I want to tell you, there's forgiveness for you. So in this moment right now, I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me and open your hearts with me, and whatever has happened to you, wherever you have been, whatever decisions are going on, however you're feeling right now, I want to invite you to accept the forgiveness of God for your life. That you will Understand that God forgives you and that you will forgive yourself. And I just want to say this one word, that there's someone who's watching right now who your hell is, fall, your, your life is falling apart. Yeah, your hell is falling apart. <laughs> your life is hell and it's falling apart all around you. And there's some stuff that you're holding on to that you haven't let go of, and the stuff that you're holding on to that you haven't let go of is causing you much pain. I want to encourage you to let it go. I don't know what it is. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to you. Let go of the pain and the shame of whatever has happened to you in your past and trust and believe that because God has forgiven you, you can forgive you, and you do not have to be ashamed. You now, <laughs> you can tell your story. You can tell it because you have nothing to be ashamed of. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, oh, the devil has lied to us <laughs> again he has come sowing seeds of shame into our lives. It's a byproduct of disobedience, God. We, our parents, foreparents, didn't listen, and they quickly realized the cost of that one choice they made. And we have been paying the price ever since. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came to deliver and your word tells us that there is now no condemnation there is now no 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 shame in Christ we don't have to live condemned we don't have to live under the weight of shame any longer because of Christ and so lord my prayer is for that 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 brother that sister that mother that father that parent that child who is listening right now, wherever they are, God, my prayer is that you would just step into their life, that you would step into their world and that you would let them know that they are no longer slaves, that they are forgiven and because they are forgiven, they can share their story, they can share the pain of their past because it is no longer their present pain, it is past pain that you have forgiven, that you have healed. And they can go forward and they can live a life of abundance and beauty and grace and power and purpose because of what you have done for them. Father, the devil is always attacking our mind. But may we just bring all of those thoughts captive and bring them into submission to your word. That we were made in your image And that we will multiply abundance and goodness and grace and peace all the days of our lives. This is my prayer for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.